The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 140 Part of Israel Falls into Captivity The anti-Assyrian alliance had every kingdom between Syria and the Red Sea on board, all except Judah. King Pekah of Israel and Rezin of Syria combined their forces and marched to Jerusalem, intending to remove King Ahaz and install a man of their choosing. God was willing to protect Judah from the incoming armies, but instead King Ahaz called on the Assyrian king to defend Judah. Looking out from the city, the flickering light of nighttime embers from the campfires of Syrian and Israelite soldiers reminded Ahaz of his predicament. His city besieged, his army vanquished, his treasury depleted. In rejecting God's deliverance, Ahaz's fate rested on whether the brutal Assyrians would save him. Then one morning, Ahaz arose from his slumber to the distant sound of yelling men and huffing horses. Hurrying to the city wall, the king looked out over the Kidron Valley to see his enemies quickly packing up camp. At that moment, a messenger approached the king. I have word from one of our spies inside the Israelite camp, the messenger announced. What is it? demanded the king. The Assyrians have received your message and have started to attack Damascus. Rezin left with his Syrian troops overnight, and the Israelites are retreating back to the north, relayed the messenger. Overjoyed with the news, Ahaz commanded that trumpets be blown throughout the city. Who needs the help of Isaiah's God? Ahaz thought, we have the mighty Assyrians on our side. As he returned to the palace, he knew the Assyrians would make quick work of the Syrians. So he decided to assemble a group of Israelites to go to Damascus and thank Tiglath-Pileser. He sent out a couple of spies to Damascus, commanding them to return when Damascus fell. While the Jews were relieved by the arrival of the Assyrian army, Pekah and the Israelites were terrified. They knew that the Assyrians were aware of their alliance with Syria against them and were sure that after Syria fell, the Assyrians would attack them next. Under Pekah's command, the army quickly returned to Samaria to prepare to defend their country. Shortly after they arrived in the capital, a messenger from the borderlands arrived declaring that Damascus had already fallen. Its infamous King Rezin had been put to the sword, but that wasn't the worst of it. Speak up, Pekka barked at the messenger, who was still trying to catch his breath from running through the city. What other news do you have? Oh, king, it is horrible, the messenger said. While the king of Assyria has stayed in Damascus, he has commanded his army to continue into our lands. The land of Israel is under attack as I speak. Gasp of fear went up around the room. Are you positive? Pekka asked. 
looking sternly at the messenger. Yes, I saw it with my own eyes, the messenger affirmed. Our brothers on the eastern side of the Jordan River were savagely attacked by the Assyrian soldiers. They are moving south through Gilead and are killing most of the men and taking the women and children as captives. The messenger had hardly finished his sentence when there was a loud banging on the door. Enter, yelled the king. Another exhausted Israelite messenger stumbled into the room, his tunic splattered with fresh blood. What is it? What happened to you? The king asked urgently. Oh, king, it is horrible. The messenger responded in a similar refrain. The land of Israel is under attack as I speak. Yes, we have just heard. Now get out of here. You are dripping blood on my palace floor. The unmerciful king responded, his frustration intensifying. The messenger obeyed and turned to walk out the door, when suddenly one of the elders yelled out, Stop! What? Who said that? barked the king. Look at his tunic, the elder urged the king. Pekka turned to face the exiting messenger. After a moment of contemplation, the king asked, Why are you wearing the symbols of the tribe of Naphtali when it is Gilead under attack? Gilead? The messenger asked. I come from Naphtali, where our border towns have been overrun by the Assyrian cavalry. Stunned, the king bowed his head, not knowing what to do. The boastful Pekka, who had so recently been terrorizing Judah, was now being attacked on two fronts by the Assyrian army. I need some time to think, announced King Pekka after hearing the messenger's reports. He left the room leaving the Israelite elders alone. The remaining men soon began to discuss what they should do. While King Pekka was a commanding leader, he acted hastily, and sometimes without consulting Israel's nobles. Men, we know that the king will never submit to the Assyrians, spoke up an elder named Hoshea. If we continue to follow his lead, it is not only going to be the death of us, but also the death of our whole nation. The other men looked toward Hoshea, nodding their heads in agreement. In most kingdoms, this treasonous talk would have meant the death of Hoshea, but not at this time in Israel. It wasn't because Hoshea wanted to lead Israel into obedience to God, but because they didn't like the way Pekah ruled. Many Israelites were unhappy with Pekah's leadership and wanted him removed. A few days later, Hoshea hired an assassin, a professional murderer. This man did his job with ruthless efficiency, bringing Pekah's terrible 20-year reign to a bloody end. Hoshea then sent a messenger to the Assyrian king in Damascus to announce what he had done and to blame Israel's rebellion against the Assyrian Empire on the former king. The message was accompanied with a generous tribute for the king. Tiglath-Pileser was pleased and accepted Hoshea as the new leader of the Israelites. The Assyrian king stopped his army's forward march, but they had already conquered the lands of Reuben, Gad, and Naphtali and send their people into slavery, never to return again. This specific event is recorded in the Assyrian annals of Tiglath-Pileser III. There he wrote, Galza, Abilaka, 
the plain of the Upper Jordan, adjacent to Bit Humri, the house of Omri, and the wide land of Naphtali, in its full extent, are united with Assyria. All of its inhabitants and their possessions I led to Assyria. They overthrew their king Pekka, and I placed Hoshea over them. Hoshea was installed as the leader of the remaining tribes of Israel, but he couldn't lead the nation without cautiously working to remain on the Assyrians' good side. He committed to providing a substantial yearly tribute to Assyria, burdening down the kingdom once more. Even as the Assyrian king was destroying part of Israel, he took over the coastal lands of the Philistines and Tyre. All the kingdoms that were a part of the anti-Assyrian alliance suffered heavy losses and were forced to accept vassal status to the Assyrian Empire. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, word of the death of Pekah and Rezin reached King Ahaz. I can't believe it, he thought. I called out to the Assyrians to help me, and they responded, defeating my adversaries. I must go to Damascus and thank the king before he departs. Ahaz didn't often leave the fortress city of Jerusalem, especially not in the last few years when Israel and Syria were trying to remove him from office. It had been too dangerous for him to travel. With these adversaries out of the way, Ahaz gathered many of his nobles from Judah and organized a royal caravan to visit the Assyrian king while he was still in Damascus, Syria. He also collected as much gold and silver as he could to show his appreciation. After four days of travel, the party of Jews arrived in Damascus. They were escorted to the king and shown into his royal tent. I am so pleased to see you in person, my king, cooed Ahaz. He continued while bowing his head to the ground. Thank you so much for answering my call to come and rescue us from the barbarians, Pekka and Rezin. Rescue you? questioned the Assyrian king. I had been planning to set out this way to ensure the loyalty of the western region. Your letter found me as I was making such plans. However, I am pleased that you are still in power. Ahaz was a little uneasy to hear that the king had other motives for saving him. He proceeded to present the gift of gold and silver to the king. He could tell, though, that these riches failed to gain the Assyrians' favor. Still, Ahaz planned to make the most of his visit to the foreign city. The Judean entourage spent the next few days touring Damascus, tasting the delights of the marketplace. Ahaz was enthralled by the Syrian culture, its unfamiliar customs, its art forms, and its pagan worship. Ahaz particularly favored the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard of the Temple of Damascus. In an act that angered God, the Judean king sacrificed an animal upon the altar to the gods of the Syrians. After continuing this ritual for a few days, Ahaz concocted the idea to replace the altar at the temple in Jerusalem with an exact replica of the one in Damascus. After all, his whole reign was pestered by the successful military campaigns of King Rezin. 
He thought this altar and the powerful gods of Syria might have had something to do with it. Bring me some paper and ink, Ahaz directed one of his servants. When he received the drawing supplies, Ahaz quickly began to sketch the Syrian altar. He measured its dimensions and took careful note of the size of its stones. When he was done, he had an accurate blueprint of the altar from which to build a replica in Jerusalem. If the power of the God of Syrians is to be transferred to me, I had better make sure I build this altar correctly, Ahaz thought. You are to deliver this to Urijah the high priest, Ahaz commanded the messenger. Tell him to construct this altar right in front of the temple in Jerusalem. I will be back in Jerusalem soon to inspect his work. Ahaz stayed in Damascus for another few days in an effort to gain another audience with the Assyrian king. He hoped to petition the king to command the Philistines and the Edomites to return the towns they had recently conquered from Judah. However, he wasn't so fortunate. The Assyrian king was a supreme strategist. He understood that a strengthened Judah might soon rebel against Assyria. By keeping the Philistine presence so close to Judah, he could ensure Judah didn't grow strong enough to threaten his own kingdom. Plus, he hadn't entirely given up the idea of conquering Judah. Ahaz soon arrived back in Jerusalem and inspected the work of Urijah. The high priest waited anxiously as the king walked around the new altar with the blueprint in hand to see if there were any errors. After a few moments of glancing back and forth at the sketch and the altar, the king looked at Urijah. You have done a fine job. Urijah breathed a big sigh of relief. Now listen to me carefully, Ahaz commanded the priests. We are done with worship of the God of Israel. You are to smash the vessels of the temple. All the instruments of sacrifice, including the bowls, the ladles, the tongs, and the censers, those that are made out of gold, you are to melt down and use the metal to recreate the gods of the Assyrians and the Syrians. Then, when you are done with that, Ahaz continued, you are to shut the doors of the house of God and forbid anyone from entering. Urijah couldn't believe what he was hearing. While many of the unrighteous kings of Judah created idols, none had gone as far as to completely do away with the use of the temple. From now on, you are to only sacrifice on the altar of the God of Syria, the king continued. Hopefully, that will afford us strength and protection in the future. Ahaz completely did away with true worship, even forbidding those who wanted to continue to use the temple properly. This was a terrible time in the kingdom of Judah. God sent prophets to warn the nation to repent, but it would not. Even in the face of the massive Assyrian army, the Jews refused to look to God for help. Instead, as in Ahaz's case, they tried to rely on the physical idols of the gods of Syria. Things were even worse in Israel. In the final years of King Ahaz's rule in Judah, Hoshea assumed the throne in Israel. However, he wasn't king of a fully independent nation. 
Since the time of Tiglath-Pileser, Israel had agreed to pay a yearly tribute to Assyria. This financial bondage reduced Israel to a little more than a vassal kingdom, unable to act without seeking Assyria's approval. As with all the kings of the northern kingdom, Hoshea refused to obey God. He didn't want God involved in the affairs of the state, nor in his personal life. During his reign, Shalmaneser became king of the Assyrian Empire. But while the king of Assyria changed, the policy toward Israel didn't. Hoshea still had to pay Assyria each year, which made it impossible for Israel to grow in prosperity. This constant financial stress upon Israel was God's way of trying to get the ten tribes to turn back to him. It was only a few years before they would go into captivity, but God still gave them every opportunity to escape it, at least individually. The final warning God sent came not from a prophet, but from a king. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at PCG.Church. Thank you.